Turn with me to John chapter 14. Just one verse I want to read to you on a message that I've given a very unusual title to. I don't really pay much attention to my own titles of messages. I want to talk to you about marijuana, nuclear war, and the peace of Christ. You say, how are they related? Well, that's what this message is all about. Look at verse number 27 in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now we've been through this verse before, that's all I'm going to read for introduction. And I have pointed out to you what I'd like to point out to you now. The peace that Jesus has left behind for us is not just any type of peace, but he says it's my peace peace that he enjoyed. Now we look at Jesus and we see all the things that he suffered. You know, we can start the cross and work backward to the beginning of his ministry and threatened to be stoned and all these things. And the Bible says he suffered the contradiction of sinners against himself and all these things. But yet we never see Jesus flustered and not knowing what to do. So he didn't say, I leave you peace. He says, my peace, the kind of peace that I have, the peace that comes from me is what I leave to you. And it's not the kind the world gives. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. On the subject of marijuana, though it's not limited to what the world offers in the way of what they call peace. But it's not the peace, he says, that the world gives. Give I unto you. Then here, let not, indicates that we play a part in whether we're going to allow our minds or our heart to be troubled with thoughts that come through and whatever it may be, either sin from our own heart or Satan. Uh, He could be working through people as well. Uh, brings to our mind, we play a part in whether we're going to let our heart be troubled or not. We play a part. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So there's something to consider. We play a part in whether the things of this world, the things of our life, because we're still in this world, are going to trouble us or not. So with that in mind, I just want to give you a kind of an anecdotal insight here which may or may not have much to do with the message at large. But when we first came here in 1987, this Amsterdam mall here was new. And I remember hearing from people when we first arrived how, you know, so many people were against it for so many reasons and not being from here at the time, you know, I would have no idea what they were talking about. The one thing I did know was this. And we used to go there, you know, the whole upstairs, if you remember, had all kinds of games and the miniature golf and it was busy and the stores were all opened and I personally liked it. On the first floor, we had the food court where you could just sit and I just thought it was a good place. I'll say a great place. I had to go there just a few days ago and I realized once I was in there, probably haven't been in there in at least 20 years, maybe more. And I just felt very sad. It was just so empty. And as I sat and I was waiting on the person I had to do business with, I could picture and hear the children, my children and others and things that we did here in that mall. And I was thinking of the years gone by. And a number of thoughts came to my mind and I just want to leave you with some provocation about life. First of all, it just came to my mind how things change. In this world, they don't stay the same. And again, it was kind of a melancholic feeling being there. It was just so empty when many, many years ago when we were in there, it wasn't that way. It was actually some place to go. That's from my point of view. Remember, I wasn't born here, but I have now lived more of my life here than I did in Yonkers. So I think my opinion counts. And it just reminded me that nothing stays the same. 
But it also came to my mind, in my thinking, it reminded me of the church and how in so many, many places it's just emptied out. Churches have emptied out. Now, obviously, there's churches that are booming and they're attracting crowds. But I was thinking of the church, and I shared this story with you a few months ago, where I was handed a gospel track. I was 17 years old when I got that gospel track. On the boardwalk of Seaside Heights, New Jersey, where my family went for years on vacation, and we still go. We went all through our married life. And here, you know, walking on the boardwalk, and this young girl, probably about my age, hands me a gospel track, never spoke a word, just put in my hands a message of the gospel. And the church had a ministry on the boardwalk for many, many years. And then last year, as we went down there, not only was the church closed, but the church building was gone, just totally gone. And in its place, they had put up some kind of condominium. And I thought to myself, what a shame, a church that led me to Christ, without them ever knowing that led me to Christ. And there's some stories in between there that I have told you before. But it's just a sad feeling, a thriving Bible-teaching church that wasn't on the map for the megachurch thing, you know, we're the greatest, we're the biggest, and we're the hippest. It was just a simple, small church, maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred people, maybe, summertime, not much. I don't even know if it was a couple hundred. I just know that I went to that church, which was independent church, rather than going across the river to the denomination I belonged to, because the pastor in that small church was a better preacher. He stuck to the text. It just brings to my mind the fact that it seems as though, as we do read in the scriptures, as we get closer to the coming of Christ, and we read that in places like Matthew 24, the love of many, Jesus said, would grow cold. That doesn't mean that we don't have the outward appearance, once again, of super mega churches and whatever things people are doing in there and saying. You know, from my point of view, we just look at and see how much is being either twisted, perverted, compromised, watered down, and according to this book. Anyway, being in the mall the other day just reminded me of these things. Nothing stays the same. And then it connected to the other thought of the church where I found Christ, Christ found me, um, doesn't even exist anymore. It's just not there, and the building's not even there. And then I'll start with this here today. In my view, if there was ever a time people should be drawing as close to Christ as possible, this would be the time. But again, that is not my understanding when I watch and listen and read. It seems as though we're fulfilling prophecy in many ways, but in this respect, the love of many is growing cold, professing Christians, that is, growing cold to the words of Christ, the commands of Christ, and so on. And then we have the verse where the Apostle Paul wrote, this know also, the Spirit speaks expressly, or very, very specifically, that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, doctrines that come from devils, doctrines that are taken from the Bible, but so twisted that it's actually not God speaking, and it's not God's word, because if you misconnect the verses, it's not the gospel. And that's what Satan did to Jesus on the Mount of Temptation. And Jesus said, it is written. He came back and said, well, it's written over here as well. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it applies. Then Satan says it's written again. And Jesus said, no, this is the proper verse for the situation. And so Jesus says, I leave peace with you. I'm going away. I'll be back again, but I'm going away. And I'm leaving a particular type of peace. I'm leaving you my peace. And it's not as the world gives. So let me just start on the subject of marijuana. Because it's being, uh, well, literally sold. But the idea of it is being sold to us here in America. Now, this is harmless. 
Should have been legalized a long, long time ago because it's a harmless thing. But I did research on this many years ago, decades ago, and included it in my first dissertation, which was on the subject of the Bible and mental health. And I was quoting from secular sources, and that's going back, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years now. And since then, more studies have been done. There's a book out, it's called Tell Your Children, The Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence by Alex Berenson. I want to just read a little bit to you from his book. In his book, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence, in his introduction, he makes a few statements, and he says, I know what a lot of you are thinking right now. This is propaganda. Marijuana is safe, where he came out and made some statements prior to this that is against that marijuana is safe. Way safer than alcohol. Barack Obama smoked it. Bill Clinton smoked it, too, even if he didn't inhale. Might as well say it causes presidencies. I've smoked it myself. I liked it fine. Maybe I got a little paranoid, but it didn't last. Nobody ever died from smoking too much pot. Yeah, this is silly. This is the opening lines of his book. Reefer madness, man. I know you're thinking because it's what you've been told for the last 25 years and because I once thought it too. Now, he has a wife. Her first name is Jacqueline. She's a forensic psychiatrist for the city of New York. And he references her. My wife Jacqueline is a psychiatrist who specializes in evaluating mentally ill criminals. If you commit a serious crime in the state of New York and claim an insanity defense, you may well talk to her. One fine night a couple of years ago, we were talking about a case, the usual horror story, somebody who set fire to his apartment, typical bedtime chat in the Berenson house, and she said something like, oh, of course he was high, been smoking pot his whole life. Now remember, these are criminals people who have committed serious crimes, and there's going to be an attempt at a defense of an insanity that they're not competent to stand trial. She's the psychiatrist that evaluates these people. She says, of course he was high, been smoking pot his whole life. Of course, I said. Yeah, they all smoke. This is a psychiatrist speaking. Well, other things too, right? He said. And she answered, sometimes, but they all smoke. And that's coming from a secular source. That's not coming from a Christian source, that type of thing. That's coming from the woman who is the forensic psychiatrist for the state of New York, usually the city of New York, and evaluates the cases whether someone is mentally competent to stand trial or not. And her statement was, they all smoke, we'll call it weed. She didn't say weed, but that's what it's called, right? They all smoke weed. So he goes on to mention some things. I want to just give this to you. And that's relating to the verse where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. The first comprehensive reference guide to herbs and drugs ever created, a Chinese pharmacopoeia called Pen Sao Ching, warned that excessive cannabis smoking caused, quote, seeing devils. And that was written somewhere in the year 100 AD. So while the apostles were writing the New Testament, this study was being done in China. By about 100 AD, Chinese physicians believed the drug, talking about pot, marijuana, weed, quote, stimulated uncontrollable violence and criminal inclinations according to a botanist who wrote a 1974 paper on cannabis in China. In the Middle East and North Africa, people noted similar effects. Almost 2,000 years later, the evidence is still mounting. Dozens of well-designed studies have linked marijuana with psychosis and schizophrenia. Researchers have found marijuana users are much more likely to develop schizophrenia. People with the disease suffer more frequent and severe relapses if they smoke. On mental health, he writes, the report is far grimmer. 
The committee found strong evidence that marijuana causes schizophrenia and some evidence that it worsens bipolar disorder and increases the risk of suicide, depression, and social anxiety disorder. Remember, these are studies coming from secular sources. Nothing that I've read to you comes from a Christian source, not even a biblical source. Cannabis use is likely to increase the risk of developing schizophrenia and other psychoses. The higher the use, the greater the risk. And that quote came from the National Academy of Sciences, a group of scientists that were doing these studies on what we know as cannabis, or colloquially as weed. Marijuana, hardly anybody calls it marijuana, just weed, yeah, I smoke weed. This study here in his book is all about the fact that, I say we, well, people are being handed a line about the harmlessness of pot, of marijuana, and that there are studies out there that are saying this is not true. And it goes back as far as the Chinese making statements in some type of study 2,000 years ago. In the end times, and you read Matthew chapter 24, the very first thing that Jesus says, and we have seen this before, beware that no one deceive you. We read the book of Genesis, the very first appearance we see of Satan, and even the one that I quoted just a moment ago from Matthew 4, is deception. Has God said? He likes to quote the Bible. Has God said? And, of course, our forefathers, our progenitors, Adam and Eve, believed Satan. Well, Eve did, and then Adam believed Eve, and we've been in this mess ever since. Deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. And let me just throw this in again to remind you. Be careful of what you read and what books you absorb outside the Bible. Because Satan will use anybody on any side. So those who vote conservatively or the so-called right, well, I'm not going to listen to anything that's said on the left. Of course, everybody on the left is not going to listen to anything that's said on the right. My view is that Satan collides through either side. Either side. And there's one book for me, and that's this book here, is the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell me who to vote for. But it does tell me this, and we heard the verse quoted earlier during the song service. There's only one mediator. There's only one savior. So be careful what you're listening to. I mean, most of you here, if not all of you, I hope, are clever enough to know marijuana is not as safe as some would have us to believe it. I know of a medical doctor whose position was just years ago, legalize it and tax it. Well, you know, when money gets involved in anything, it's always corrupted. If the attitude is just simply legalize it so we can tax it and make revenue off of it, then we're not paying attention to studies that are done. Obviously, if people are for marijuana and they're for legalization and all that stuff, they're going to come up with their own studies, and then you're kind of on your own, I suppose, because who do you believe? People on the left, people on the right, who do you believe? But you see, we are people of the book, this book here. We are people of the book. You know, I picked marijuana because it's a topic today that we're, again, we're being spoon-fed just how safe it is, how much better it is than alcohol. If you were raised around people who were addicted to alcohol, as some of us were, you could see what alcohol does or can do. We also know this. A person who is alcoholic is never permitted ever in their life ever to touch a single drink. And so we have this whole cornucopia of what marijuana does. And I'm not talking about CBD. If you read the book, and you want to read the book, tell your children the truth, it will talk about how much marijuana that is supposed to be just CBD actually has a ton of THC, and more THC than we saw growing up in the 60s. But that's in the book. Satan is a liar. He always has been. Jesus said he was the father of lies. So we are not going to believe whatever he says, but I do want to bring this to you. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us the difference between the works of the flesh and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And one of the things that many of you know, in the list of the works of the flesh, the word that is used in our King James Bible is witchcraft, a work of the flesh. We further know from looking at the word witchcraft that underlying it, the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia. It's where we get our English word for pharmacy. Pharmakia has always been, in Greek, translated as a simple definition as the administration of drugs. But it's also always that illegal drugs are always connected to, have been, to sorcery. That's why the Bible translates it into witchcraft. Concerning the last days, in Revelation 18.23, talking about Babylon has fallen, we see these words, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorceries, and that Greek word is pharmakia, by their sorceries were all nations deceived. That's Revelation 18.23. Pharmakia is only mentioned a couple times in the Bible. When it is mentioned, it's mentioned in connection with sorcery. Now, just one more thing on weed or marijuana. I had said when the state of New York was talking about legalizations, there's 18 states now that have legalized it in any form, and 38 altogether that have it in either medical or recreational form, and a few states where it's just still illegal. But you can see the states are just rolling with it one by one. And I said that what you're going to see as marijuana is legalized, you're going to see an increase in psychosis before I read this book, because I've done my own homework for years on this subject. And you're going to see an increase in people going to the ER to get treated for, you know, uh, hallucinations and, and delusions and different things, and hospitals getting full. This is true. I have tried to get some people help. Where I don't do long-term counseling, I'll meet once or twice, and then if it's going to be a long time because of the nature of the situation, I refer them out to Christian Counseling Center. You know now, if you want to get counseling, other than an emergency situation where you're admitted to a hospital or psychiatric ward, there's up to a year wait. I've dealt with this personally, this is not hearsay, to try to get someone in for counseling. It was a marital issue. One year wait. What do you do in the meantime? Then there was another situation, something closer to a mental health issue. Same thing. One year. One year. What do you do in the meantime? So as we approach the coming of Christ, Deception is going to continue to just flourish. You, as professing Christians, must be very aware of what the book actually says. Not what the book says, what the book actually says. And you know how you get that? By reading it. God has, in this age, given us enough material, meaning enough Bibles, and the technology that anybody can do studies in the Bible, anybody can read it. That doesn't mean God will reveal everything. It's an, that has to be a matter of the heart where you approach the scriptures with the right spirit. But the way to know what the Bible says is simply to read it, to read what it says. In any case, concerning that one subject, marijuana, you could obviously throw in alcohol, you could throw in a lot of things. Oh, and by the way, let me say this too. This is one of those extreme deceptions that I just mentioned. I'm in a discussion with someone a few years back on that word, pharmakia. And he, a Christian, was trying to make the point that we shouldn't be taking any medicine at all from anybody, from any doctor, whatever. I said, that's not what the word means. So I just want to mention that to you. Don't try to make the case that all drugs lead to witchcraft. If you've got a heart problem, you've got diabetes or whatever. I'm personally grateful for the advances in medical technology. But you see how anything can be twisted and perverted. Anything. Even a right idea of what pharmakia is can be wrongly connected to do you take medicine for your heart disease? Yes. Um, well, that's satanic. 
<laughs> well, uh, take a bit of advice from me. There are certain conversations that you should just not be in. And I said this to a friend of mine who was telling me some problems about his own son who's a habitual pot smoker. And I've been trying to share with him because the behavior pattern is there. The rebellion, the whatever. I was sharing with him that you have to study these things to understand the implications of what happens when you get involved. For you, there are certain conversations that you should never be in. And I said this to this friend of mine who's not a professing Christian. But I quoted from Proverbs, and I said to him, there's a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, it's better, I'll paraphrase it, it's better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than to meet a fool in his folly. And there's verses in Proverbs that tell us to never engage a fool when they're in their folly. And there's another verse that says, no, engage them. But you've got to know when to talk. And there's sometimes it's just no sense. Whether you're on social media or wherever you are, if you want to destroy your peace, as I just told you, I'm starting a bless you. You understand that when you sneeze, demons come out. <laughs> That's actually how we got the, the expression, God bless you. I don't say it too much, but I figured I'd have to do it publicly. I was sneezing out the devils. They're already coming out. Where was I? Pharmakia. Don't let people engage you in a conversation that is useless, just designed to steal your peace. I talk to a ton of people all week long, but you don't want to get engaged in conversations that are absolutely positively fruitless. And you're told not to engage a fool when they're in the midst of their folly. So much for marijuana. Now, secondly, the threat of nuclear war. How do these two connect? I want to read you the headlines of just a little bit from this here. Just yesterday, in a publication, news publication, it stated, Russia's state TV tells viewers we're all going to die someday over a nuclear threat. Vladimir Putin is more likely to pursue all-out nuclear warfare. This is yesterday's news. Vladimir Putin is more likely to pursue all-out nuclear warfare rather than concede defeat to Ukraine, a top Russian state TV editor has said. Margarita Simonian, editor of State Broadcaster and one of Kremlin's highest-profile media bosses, made the remarks on TV on Wednesday night. If it's coming from the Kremlin, you already know what's behind that. She made the remark on TV on Wednesday night declaring that Mr. Putin unleashing a nuclear strike is, quote, more probable than failing in so-called special military operation in Ukraine. So just very briefly about nuclear threat. Most all of us here grew up with the so-called threat of the release of nuclear weapons. The bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened before I was born. So we had the duck and cover drills going through grade school and all of this. It's always been there, and I think that we've gotten so accustomed to it that it doesn't enter our minds anymore that it could actually happen. That's all I want to say. Again, the great majority of us here grew up with this only 16, 17 years after the bombing of Japan with nuclear weapons. We just grew up with the idea that it could happen. But since then, more nations have acquired nuclear weapons. If you've ever been familiar with Herman Kahn, the founder of the Hudson Institute, and he was um, a systems manager with Rand Corporation, you know, very smart man. He wrote the books on thermonuclear war and another book called Thinking About the Unthinkable. And I want you to just listen. I'm in grade school. I'm in like the first grade when he wrote these words. Many believe that if one single button is pressed, nuclear weapons, all the buttons will be pressed. And that some 30 minutes or so later, missiles will rain enough destruction to terminate the defender's existence as a nation. Subsequently, some minutes or hours later, a similar reign of death and destruction will annihilate the attacking nation. 
Within perhaps an hour or two, the war will be effectively over, both combatants having received death blows with only one question left. This is Herman Kahn. How bad will the radiation be for the rest of the world? Now, I introduced that to say, it's my opinion, it's at least, you know, when I'm in conversations with people, all types of things come up, including marijuana and its use. I've been asked, what do you think about CBD versus, you know, the THC versions? We talk about these things. But rarely am I ever asked or in a conversation where someone will say, what do you think about nuclear weapons? Do you think they'll be used? And I think the inuring process of us getting so used to the fact that they're there is that we don't any longer entertain the notion that it could actually happen. Further, the idea in the minds of some, at least some that I've talked to personally, is that, you know, people start using nuclear weapons, the whole world is gone. But the Bible doesn't say that either, and we don't have to have that. We could have what Herman Cotton said. We could have two nations, three, whatever, destroy each other and still have the earth left and this situation develop. Let me read to you this from 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So this much we know. One of the last things that we'll see before the advent of Christ, the coming of the Lord, is that the earth is going to suffer some great destruction by fire. But what the text doesn't say, that it's going to be the whole planet. That's important because the Bible makes it clear that the earth will not ever fully be destroyed. But we're going to read here in a moment. We do expect to see the earth renovated, new heavens and a new earth. So let's read it. The elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, that's lifestyle and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. This book, as you know, especially the New Testament, is called Good News. But what it also announces in there is the bad news, that the things that we're experiencing now, so I picked just two subjects, marijuana and the threat of nuclear arms or the use of nuclear weapons, but you can pick a hundred subjects that we're dealing with today. I just picked two. Especially the one on marijuana, because we're being sold, and again, I say we, a bill of goods that does not fully stand up to the test of scientific scrutiny. Actually, quite the opposite. But I'll leave those arguments to those pundits that are called to do that. I simply know that when Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, it was not as the world gives it. So whether it's alcohol or it's marijuana or it's having different sexual partners or whatever it is, This is coming from a place where God says it will be destroyed. The philosophy of the world, not just the philosophy, but anything that belongs to that is going to be destroyed. Babylon has fallen, and on and on and on. And here we're taught, the verse I just read to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, now you know that this is going to happen. That's 2,000 years ago. The Manhattan Project took place in the 40s, 1940s. So we're really pretty much on the cusp of things that are just happening in our generation. But here the Bible is announcing something 2,000 years in advance, saying this is how it's going to go down. This is how it's going to play out. And I mentioned these two things, marijuana, nuclear war, or nuclear bombs, nuclear weapons, because this is what we're dealing with. In addition to family issues, family problems, 
in addition to, well, taxes, in addition to everything, we're dealing with everything. And I ask you this from time to time, though I know the answer, so I ask you again, just maybe for my own benefit, are you feeling the stress? Are you feeling the pressure? Yes. I know I am. Yes. You can feel the pressure. If you've ever been deep underwater, you know, you swim just a couple of feet under the ocean, not too big a deal, but the deeper you go, you can feel the pressure of the water. So you have, you know, these techniques used for diving and so forth and decompression. The pressure is building, the stress is building. We're fulfilling Bible prophecy. This is what I usually tell most people who either moderately make a commitment to Christ. I mean, they associate with it in a very moderate way or a serious way. We are fulfilling Bible prophecy at an amazing rate. We had a prayer for the children, you know, for our youngest of the young. And the statement has been made many, many times that they're facing things that we never faced before. And there's a great part of that that's true when you think about it, those of us who are older. And I tell you something. What are we going to do about it? Are we just going to sit back and say, oh, well, you know, it's just going to happen and become fatalistic or deterministic? Or are we going to get on our knees and pray and God visit us and give us the laborers that we need and give us the programs that we need and so on to reach these people? Because my, you know, my entire life has been wrapped up in just, just God and the things of God and the Word of God. And so often I'm, you may say, distracted when I'm at home because my mind is still there. My mind is still in the mode of, Lord, what do we do? And, you know, we're talking about God. You don't get away from God. And thankfully so, if you know him. So you could pick whatever topic you want and, you know, the one that troubles you the most and then throw in the few others that are troubling you today when you came in here to this meeting. And then let's talk about the peace of Christ. Because that's what we all want. Thankfully, God didn't dangle it out. And, you know, I've done this to people. I don't know. You know, I like to tease. I ask for something and kind of pull it back. And they go grab it and keep pulling it back. Well, God doesn't do that with his promises. He doesn't say, do you want peace? Huh? You really want, want peace? When God makes a promise, he intends to keep it. But it's up to us, as I read to you in verse 27 of John chapter 14, to not let our heart be troubled because the temptation is that it will be troubled and just start going with that. And then the mind starts racing, the thoughts start going, everything's wrong. Well, there's a lot wrong. Well, actually it's in the book, but there's a lot right. It means God still exists and God cannot change. God is the same all the time. He's the same, whether you're sick or you're well or you're rich or you're poor or whatever, God never changes, he's still the same. And he keeps you stable. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. That's what we read. The peace of Christ. In John chapter 16, at verse 33, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In me you might have peace. Now I overextend this on purpose just to make the point, and it is my own particular view. I don't pay much attention to the sign over church doors. First church of this, first church of that. If I don't really pay any attention to it at all, because there's only one name that's above every other name. Is that the name of Jesus? That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. Going to bow down to the name of Pentecostal or Baptist or Roman Catholic or Methodist or anything else. I am certain that that doesn't frighten the devil at all. But to mention the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, that's an attention getter. Because Jesus Christ is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and for Him and on and on. In the name of Jesus. Yes. I'm not suggesting you totally forget everything else. I'm just simply trying to over-accent the point 
that it's Jesus who died on the cross for us. It's Jesus who fills us with the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that gives us wisdom. Seek after Christ. And then we have this verse once again. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. Now listen, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Now for many that would ruin it. Because the type of peace we want is one that comes with convenience and comfort. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not going to be convenient and it's not going to be comfortable, but I am leaving you my peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, we all know, that includes your pastor, that we are tempted to be anxious. I discovered something in studying myself. I study myself a lot. And I realized just going through a door that's not opening properly. And I'm getting frustrated because I've got things in my hand. And I'm frustrated at the door, which is not working right. But it wasn't the door that wasn't working right. It was here that wasn't working right. It was because my muscles are ahead of my brain. These are the things that frustrate us, these little tiny little foxes. Then when we get to work or wherever we go and it gets worse from there, all these little things start building up and building up and before you know it, then something really big does happen and we collapse. But the Bible says don't be anxious for anything. Not for anything. Jesus even taught us not to be anxious for our own lives. Let's face it, we're all tempted with these things. You know, you're sick, you want to be well. I, I hate to be sick. No one likes being sick less than I do. I hate to be sick. But then, you know, it says be anxious for nothing. So, and you pray for healing because Christ is the healer. He still is the healer. He's the healer because he said he's the healer. He's the healer because he can't change. And when there's no more sickness left, then I suppose he wouldn't have to be the healer. But for the moment, he's still the healer. He's God. But he says in the world, you'll have tribulation. In Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplications. How many of you wait until the point where you're so frustrated with what you're doing that you decide to pray? I did it just this week. Working on something, monkeying around with this, monkeying around. And I actually said to the Lord, I said, you know what, Lord? I forgot to pray first. I forgot to pray first. And then you pray and God just says, okay, well, I, you know, one day you'll learn the lesson. Pray first. Amen. And you'll be able to deal with the situation. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep, which means to guard, your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, that's 2,000 years ago when that was written, when they had a whole lot less to lean on than we do today, meaning like medical technology or just technology in general. But the principle still works. Be anxious for nothing. I'm saying this again. I'm no different than you. I'm subject to the same temptations that you're subject to. To start thinking about the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. What am I going to do when that happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? The lesson that I've been learning more and more as I get older and older is that you're not there yet. Stay in the moment, to use an operative term. Stay in the moment. One day at a time. That's what Jesus taught. He said, this day is going to have enough evil in it for you to deal with it for just today. And you know what? As I've gotten older over the years, that's how I've learned to live. Just for today. And sometimes, as I told you, and I'm not joking when I'm saying this, there are some days that are so stressful, I say, you know what, let me just live for the next hour. That's the truth. I'm not lying when I say that. I just say, you know what, I'm just going to concentrate on what I'm doing for the next hour. And then all of a sudden, I realized that, you know what, if I did that, if you did that, lived one hour at a time, you could do it indefinitely. That's what Jesus taught. So what I'm saying here is whatever subject that we're dealing with today that's in the world, that's troubling us, that's bothering us, 
It's two points. That's why I brought out A, marijuana, then I brought out the threat of nuclear war. This is the world as it is. One is the way the world promises us peace. The other is what we live with in the tribulation of our times. Either way, Jesus said, I leave you my peace. I give you my peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but don't be anxious about anything. Right? Putting these verses together. But don't be anxious about anything, but pray. And be grateful. That's what Thanksgiving is. How much time do you take giving God thanks for what you do have instead of letting, you know, 98% of your time be taken up with all the things you don't have? Now, this is another lesson that I'm learning more and more as I get older. That song came to me a few days ago. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know what? I've done that a little here, a little there over the years, but not much. So I started to do it. I didn't write it down on a pad, but in my head. I started to think of the things one by one that I have. And you know what? I found out <clears throat> that I have something many, many rich people don't have, and they never will. And then all the young people who are being fed more of this stuff about how God wants you to be a billionaire and all this stuff. I have something that apparently none of these people have. And you know what it is? Enough. I have enough. I have my clothes. I'm in my right mind for the moment. I have a home. I have a lot of things. I have a lot of adversity. I have a lot of troubles, things troubling that could trouble my mind. But the Bible says don't let it. Jesus said don't let it. So I start counting the blessings, and all of a sudden the focus changes. When I look at the weather, it's a 60% chance of rain. I always transfer, say that means there's a 40% chance that it won't rain. And since weather people are amongst the most notorious false prophets in the world, um, I only half believe what they say. You know, it really is, it depends on your point of view. If we look at the world that we live in today, and you know enough about the Bible, most all of you here know enough about the Bible to know that these are the things that we were told by Jesus, by the apostles, by the prophets, and it's happening in our lifetime, then we've got to change the point of view. And we've got to start to do, as uh, someone wrote to me this week, look up. His words was, look up, the king is coming. The king is coming. These are the signs, as I mentioned to you so frequently. But what point of view do you have today? Is your point of view, all of the things, you're just concentrating on all the things that you need to do, things that are wrong, whatever, or you're thinking about what this book says. And I would suggest you think about what this book says. Oh, and by the way, when you're stressed, it's not all that easy to do this. It's easier for me to say to some of you that maybe, God forbid, have some kind of serious illness, hey, be well. But it's different when I'm told, you're next. <laughs> and it's like, you know, all of a sudden the advice I gave everybody else is more difficult to apply to myself. And you know what? You're the same way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. These are the verses, as I get older, not that they didn't challenge me when I was younger, they're challenging me because I'm realizing that I'm not experiencing this. And I'm not looking at the Bible and saying, this is a fault with this book. That your joy may be full. We went through that in the Bible study a couple of weeks ago, 1 John chapter 1. That your joy may be full. As soon as I read the verse, I said to myself, my joy isn't full. And now I know what the purpose of the epistle is. So that means I've got to dig deeper to let these things go deep into my heart so that my joy would be full, that the Lord of peace himself would give you peace always. By all means, the Lord be with you all. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. This is one of my favorite verses when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. Now, thankfully, I don't have the problem that a lot of people have with insomnia. I know a ton of people, they tell me they wake up every couple of hours, can't get back to sleep. I've trained myself how to sleep. But also this verse here, Psalm 4, verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, 
for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. My wife and I are from New York, and the neighborhood we lived in, well, most of the neighborhoods we lived in, we're not always the safest. And you make sure you lock all the doors and the windows and everything. And many people live, especially on ground floors, with bars on the windows because of sin. Yet, wherever you are, you're able to lay your head down and go to sleep. Now, if you suffer from insomnia, what it means is that you're anxious about something, unless you have a disease or some kind of you know, physical affliction. But that being put aside, it means that you're anxious and your body needs rest. And God says, here, take this verse, take this pill, God's pill. Take this pill and lay yourself down in peace, for I will make you to dwell in safety. In New York, it is not uncommon, doesn't happen a lot, but it's not uncommon to have somebody come in and rob you while you're asleep. I mean, I've known people that this has happened to, one person in particular. She was in the bedroom sleeping while they came and just cleared out everything in the living room. Wow. Oh, yeah. But we have Christ. In Isaiah 26.3, another favorite verse of mine, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, let me say this again. Accent this. Information, this is the age of information, it's coming out as like a flood. I find myself, and I told you this, so distracted, I'm trying to do research or read an article, and there's constant ads popping up. There's 15 things about what happened to this superstar model and what she looks like today and somebody's death who didn't even die. It's, it's very vexing. It's coming quickly, all the time, all the time. And here, we have a challenge to keep our minds absolutely stayed on Christ. It's an act of the will. It's a habit that has to be built up. But we keep our minds stayed on Christ and whatever's coming at us to bring us down, to depress us, to destroy our peace, the mind has got to be stayed, fixed on Christ. The promise is that he'll keep us in perfect peace. Colossians 3.15 tells us, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. The word rule has the idea of what we would know, like in baseball or even football, of an umpire. And that's not the batter, it's not the pitcher that calls the balls and the strikes. It's the umpire who's watching the plate. He's the one that calls balls and strikes. What this verse is saying here is to let the peace of God be the umpire in your life. What I do is when I lose my peace, I immediately, it's just like losing your keys. If I lose my peace, I immediately start to think, where did I lose my peace? Was it this conversation? Was it this email that I just got? Was it this and that? Whatever, where did I lose it? And go back to that spot and pick it up again and to meet it. And for me, I just remind myself, God is, and he has all things under control. And this brings comfort. This brings comfort. Have you noticed in reading through the Bible how often the Bible, especially the epistles, either start off with or end with a benediction, a blessing? Nearly all, not all, of the epistles of the New Testament have this, as we read in Jude, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So many of the epistles, the great majority of them, start off with that type of a benediction. The peace of God be with you. Let it be multiplied. So I'm asking you to do what I do, is to look at yourself today and to challenge yourself today and to say, is peace in my life being multiplied? Is it actually going exponential? Is the joy in my life going exponentially? And if not, I would suggest to you what probably the impedance is the fact that you're up against so many things as we all are. And that's getting the best of you. In my view, like uh, relating to these emails that I have been receiving as recently as today, Satan is so obvious that he's trying to bait me out of my position of peace. But experience and the Word of God and so on says, don't get pulled out, don't get drawn out. 
Now, you know, people do that to you, right? They're looking for an argument. So they're trying to draw you out. They don't care what to argue about. They just want to argue with you. They're trying to draw you out. Don't let anybody draw you out and bring you from your position of peace. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So you live a biblical life. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. In Psalm 29, verse 11. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We just read the Apostle Paul saying that what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard in me, do them. So now let's look at what the Bible tells us to do. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now you know, again, you know by experience, how Satan loves to bring up your weaknesses. He loves to bring up the sins of the past, even if they're 30, 40 years ago. He loves to bring those things up and to have you question your salvation in the Lord and point out real things in you that are truly sinful so that your heart falls because you can't argue with the truth. I did do that. I do that. This is my weakness. Then there's Christ who comes along and says, where are your accusers? And you look around, well, there's nobody here, you know, and there's no human being on the planet that can righteously accuse you because they've done the same things. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now here it is. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Two choices. You can live the way of the world. You know, let's look at it realistically. There are so many things presented to us that comes from what the Bible calls the world that really look pretty attractive. And people, maybe you remember this from before Christ, most people are not going to wear their feelings on their sleeves, you know, everywhere they go, how you doing, oh, it's not going so good. So they, to an extent, we all do it, right? We just kind of put our best face on. How you feeling? Oh, you know, I don't want to say good because that's a lie. So I just say, well, that's better than it was. It's not all that great, but it's better than it was. But with respect to what this is saying here, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We get to enjoy something that this world cannot give. In Christ, we have peace. Whether it's the world saying, hey, marijuana is going to solve all your problems, just live hard. And now scientists have been saying this for quite a while. These are very prestigious studies. Not only going to make you high, it's going to make you crazy. I mean, literally crazy. And if you know my testimony, you know my story. I know that from first-hand experience. So I discovered it, unfortunately. So I know that this is true. And it's also what brought me to Christ. But I'm just trying to say is that while we're in this world, it's not going to ever give us eternal life. It's not going to give us the peace of Christ. It's not going to give us the strength that we need and on and on and on. But Christ will. Amen. The outward man is perishing. Right? If you're getting older, you know that by experience as well. Perishing. But Christ is not perishing. He's risen. And we celebrate that every Sunday. 
So think for just a moment, what are you up against today? Like the mall, it's just empty. I just felt, still feel, it was a shame. But our life was not meant to be empty. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So what is it today you're up against? What is it you're struggling with? It's family, it's children, it's health issues, it's all of the above, it's distress, it's the world, it's whatever. You know, it's all these things. And why don't we take the time right now, right here, and hand it over to Christ and say to Jesus, you have commanded us not to be anxious. Like if you're afraid to die, and we have so many verses here to combat that, boy, what a waste of time that is. Because you're going to die. I mean, if Christ don't come back first, you are going to die. Right, it is true. So all you think about is, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And you're missing life while you're thinking about you're going to die. Life passed you by because you're worried about dying, and then one day you died. It's just, you know, if you think reasonably, logically, let's live one day at a time. Let's appreciate the moment that we have. But let's do this, 1 Peter 5, 7, let's cast our cares upon the Lord because what happens to us matters to him. That's what the book says. As I said in the beginning, this sermon had an unusual title, but I was just trying to tie in how the world offers peace in many, many ways, many forms. Then the things that we read in the news and the things that we are faced with in the world, and that brings a certain amount of anxiety and stress. And then there's Christ, there's peace of Christ. So what is it today that you're struggling with? You probably could name it right away. Right away you could name what it is. Let's take the instruction of the scriptures and cast it on the Lord. I mean, actually hand it to the Lord. And say, Lord, you know, this is troubling me. You already know that he said this shouldn't be troubling you. Why is it troubling you? When you hand it to Christ, leave it there. It's not easy to do that. Just leave it there. So we pray today, Father, and I don't know precisely what's troubling every individual, but they know. I know what things are troubling me. But you say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's what you said to us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Father, I just prayed today that we could exchange those things that are stressing us out, those things that are causing us pain, physical, emotional pain, and then there's your word, and then there's you. And I pray today, Lord, Father God, that every single person here, no matter what they're facing, will be able to cast their care upon you, all of them. And in exchange for those things that are troubling them and stressing them, they would take you and take your peace. And Lord, one more thing. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a fight. We didn't ask to be in this fight. And most of us would prefer not to be in this fight, but we're in this fight. And in this fight, we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God, to be prepared to defend against the enemy and the sword to use as offense against him. Help us, God, to just do what you say to do. To find that place of peace today. No matter what it is, we're up against. And so many of us are up against a lot of things. But still to be able to say, God is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Right now, Father God, we thank you for the things that you have done. We cast our cares upon you because you truly care for us. You command us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And for any of us who've attempted that, we find out, wow, there's actually resistance, obstacles. Satan is furious, absolutely furious. And yet the commandment stands, seek for me with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. Then the second command is to love one another. Today, Lord, give us the strength to do these things. And as always, we will give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.